Welcome to Hamsterdam. I'm Rusty, joined by Ifo Bumaye. The Ducks are back after a win against the bye week. No rest. Everything is great. We won. Undefeated. Undefeated against the bye week. Um, based on the practice sports, a lot of people got healthy. Herbert's taking reps with the ones for the, seems like the fourth week in a row. Um so the first question we have to start off with, does Herbert play? Well, if I had to guess, my money would be on yes. But that being said, I have no idea. Um, so let's see. He When he originally got hurt, his timetable for recovery was four to six weeks so this game would be squarely right in the middle of that. Um, Has it only been five weeks? I believe so. I feel like it's been more than five weeks. Uh, maybe it's been six. Um, because at this point, what, Burmeister has had six games under his belt, I believe? I think, I think so. I think he's had five and a half. And a bye One, week. Two, three, four, five. Yeah, five and a half plus the bye week. So six and a half weeks. So pretty pretty on, on schedule in terms of uh, recovery timetable. Based on practice reports, it sounds like Herbert is doing well. Um, fake News Rob says he's shaking off the rust. Um, so that's promising that not only does he look healthy – but he also looks kind of as back to what he could be of his normal self without actually playing in games. Um, we just hope he's been drinking his milk, but who knows? I don't think he plays. Okay. Because be- you're naturally pessimistic? Because I'm naturally what? pessimistic. Good. I'm naturally skeptical, and I also don't want to get my hopes up. Because there is no God. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's like, the, I feel like the collarbone is maybe the trickiest, in, one of the trickier injuries to come back from. Because it's just like, the, the bone is just floating out there. Like, there's nothing really protecting it. It's just completely exposed. And I just think it's so easy to like, fracture it again, basically, that... I don't know. I feel like they'd rather be cautious about it. That's so. fair. Um, you know, I agree. I, I think the coaching staff and the team doctors will certainly take a cautious approach because, I mean, let's face it, we're not competing for a national championship this year. Um, that being said... That's next year. <laughs> you're right. That being said, um, Justin Herbert has still dressed for the last two games. Um, so I think if he's cleared to play, he certainly will play. I don't think it's a situation where, you know, a doctor would clear him and they would be overly cautious and say, eh, maybe just wait another week. Um, I mean, we're still playing for a bowl, bowl game and nothing is guaranteed over these next two weeks. So... I hope that he gets cleared 
if he doesn't, I feel pretty confident that he would be able to play uh, against Oregon State in the Civil War next weekend. Um, I would feel confident about that. But, you know, who, who knows? Uh, you're right. I mean, broken bones are tricky. It's it's super individual, and you just hope that he doesn't experience a setback because that would be really disappointing. Because at that point, then you, then you start to get into – not only affecting this season, but also preparing for the 2018 season as well. Yeah, and I mean, on the bright side, with a fracture or a break, you can see where it's at. It's not like a hamstring or like another muscle thing where it's like, does it feel good or does it not feel good? Yeah. You can, can, it's easier to tell to get like a binary response with... um, with uh with bones so i would say that the will herbert start will he not start that's probably the biggest question of this week uh second biggest question of this week is can we stop khalil tate is that possible uh because arizona is in my opinion they're not only the biggest surprise of the pac-12 season i think they're probably the biggest surprise of college football in general, you can make it a case that maybe Miami is a bigger surprise, but they had some hype going into this season. Um, I mean, we we were talking about Rich Rod getting fired after the end of this year in our projections, and now oh, yeah. Arizona has won five of the last six. Now, granted, they, their competition has not been great. Their their five wins over their last six weeks have been Colorado down year UCLA can't stop anybody Cal except us yeah Cal Washington State who's good USC who's good and Oregon State who is not good so hot take (laughs) you know their schedule hasn't been great but you play who you play you play who's on the schedule and uh, ever since Khalil Tate has taken over at the quarterback position He's been fantastic. Um, he's the only oh gosh, quarterback yeah. in Pac-12 history to run for over a thousand yards. Um, I mean, his yards per carry—is that true? Is unbelievable. Uh, I think that's what I read this morning. I might be misremembering, but let me look. I believe so. Big if true. I guess even though even though Marcus was super fast, he never actually ran the ball that much. And then Dennis didn't Dennis Dixon didn't make it the whole year in two thousand seven because we stopped playing football after the Arizona State game. Um, yes, Khalil Tate, first Pac twelve quarterback to rush for over a thousand yards in a single season. That's crazy. And and not only has he done it in a single season, but he's done it in basically six what games. six games. That's yeah. absurd. So and he's a sophomore, so next year he'll be up for the Heisman. Maybe we should have let Arizona take Braxton Burmeister. Hey now. Sorry. Well, Bra- Bra- well Braxton would be a freshman. Yeah, I know. Tate's a sophomore. So I mean that's the real question is can our defense stop Khalil Tate? Because offensively, um, Arizona is a much more efficient version of our current offense. They're highly run-based. Um, 
I mean, they run just under 75% of the time on standard downs. So that would be anything that would be like first and 10, really anything other than like a third and long or a third and six plus. So you know what you're getting with Arizona. Their oh, wide yeah. receivers are small. Their two leading wide receivers are 5'9 and 5'11. So they're kind of in that like Taj Griffin-y mold. Um, honestly, I feel relatively confident going into this week um, <clears throat> just because our defense has been so improved compared to last year and especially in defending the run. Yeah, I think the, the the problem that I see is that rushing the ball, Arizona ranks 33rd in success rate, which is above average. It's not otherworldly, but they rank second in explosiveness. And mm-hmm. our run defense ranks like 20th in efficiency and... 110th in explosiveness in terms of guarding it uh, which isn't great yeah. I, th- I think a lot of those explosion plays have been highly situational um, I think based just off of the way Levitt kind of pl- has the defense playing um, I, there's really only one way that I think Oregon is able to slow Tate at all because USC executed a really good game plan. Tate had, I think, his worst game, and Arizona still dropped thirty-five points. Um, uh, Ugo Chukwuamadi is at safety, um, and basically, we would have to leave the defensive backs on islands against their receivers. Basically spy, probably spy Tate with Troy Dye, who may not be fast enough to keep up, but would he would have to like have enough sense of where he's where Tate's going to do something about it. Well, um, especially considering that Troy Dye left the Washington game with an Achilles injury. Um, so yeah. hopefully he's been able to recuperate on the bye week, but that's a question mark. Yeah, or you put Fotu out there. Fotu's Possibly. fast enough to in a straight line to catch him. I feel like. Yep, him, maybe Lamar Winston Jr., something like that. Yeah, but he has to be spied, and then the uh, basically the defensive line just has to stay really disciplined. Because basically, what they can't do is they can't shoot over the top, basically. They can't try to go over top of the tackle because otherwise it makes a really short corner for the for Tate to get around. Basically, it makes him really it makes it really easy for him to escape the pocket, get out in the open, and improvise. Whereas if he's contained in the pocket, hey, if Tate is going to win throwing the ball, that's fine. You know, at some point you can only do so much, and if a guy who only who barely who doesn't pass exceptionally well as as good of the as good as he runs the ball if we force him to pass like 40 times and they still end up winning just you know I feel like that's just how it goes sometimes so 
Yeah, I mean, I certainly think that has to be the game plan. Um, in six games, he's only attempted 105 balls. So that is not a high usage rate on his passes. Yeah. Uh, now, he compared to their previous starter, Brandon Dawkins, he does throw the ball down the field more. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're right. Our corners um, will be on an island. I feel pretty comfortable, though, with Arion Springs and Thomas Graham Jr. being able to hold up against those type of receivers because where we've really seen both of them get exploited, um, I, yeah, I'm thinking particularly about the Stanford game, is when they've been able to get out-muscled on the outside. And yeah. a and- receiver that's 5'9 and 5'11 is not going to be able to out-muscle Arian Springs. It's just not going to happen. Right. Um, yeah, so- and, and the Arizona State game was the other prime example with their receiver, who's just... A monster. Yeah, I mean, you could make a, a case that um, both of those wide receivers, um, Stanford's lead guy, whose name is ex- escaping me, and Arizona State's, those are probably two of the top wide receivers in the conference. So, um, I don't think Arizona has that type of talent on the outside, and it will really come down to can our defensive line and our front seven be disciplined against the run when we play against Arizona Arizona this week. Yeah, I mean, the defensive line, it's really just staying disciplined. It's entirely staying disciplined. Um, and a lot of the big runs, watching some Arizona uh, cut-ups to the Arizona offense, a lot of it came down to just bad angles and bad tackling, too. Um, just really sticking to fundamentals. So he's really good, and especially if Tate's really good, and if you don't have the fundamentals, it's it's going to be impossible, basically. Um, how do you feel the Oregon offense is going to do? Let's you know, do it, let's do it with the, with the first assumption. We'll do we'll do it. We'll basically do this two times. The first assumption is that Herbert does not play. This will be a very fast one. Then I don't feel great. <laughs> Uh, would, would be would be um, a good summary. Um, I I don't think Arizona defensively is anything special. Um, they're not. They're not. I mean, just in terms of their S and P plus rankings, rushing S and P plus, defending the run, they're a hundred and third in the country, and defending the pass, they're eighty eighth. And that's so, mostly because they don't get burned deep uh, by the pass. Yeah, I mean, they're what our defense basically used to be, which was a bend-but-don't-break defense. Um, I don't consider either of those rankings or their play on the field defensively to be a strength of theirs. Um, So really what this game will come down to, in my opinion, is can we outscore them? Um, With Burmeister... No. I don't feel great about that because, again, they're just going to be able to key on the run. Um, and without some more 
variables in play calling in terms of rolling Burmeister out to his right or mixing in fly sweeps with Charles Nelson. I don't necessarily think that we have the um, the the variables in play calling to, to keep their defense on their toes. Um, I was actually surprised that the S&P Plus projected score only has us as a two and a half, two and a third point underdog. Um, that was pretty surprising to me. So maybe they think that Herbert is going to play. Um, that just uses the numbers that are already there. That doesn't take into account. Yeah, I, Herbert being there. Yeah, but I I don't um, I don't feel particularly confident if Herbert is not playing. Your thoughts? I agree. Um, with Herbert playing, it's possible that we stay in better just because by merely having the threat of passing, it's going to make running easier. Um, but, you know, it, I don't think it really matters how much he's been able to practice recently because there's still only... You, you, you can't practice your way out of rust. You have to actually play through some games to actually be at game speed, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. I agree. Um, I just also think of our first four games offensively. Now, granted, you have to take the, the level of competition into, into account. But I think of our, our first four games oh. where, at times, we looked very, very good offensively. Yeah. Uh, to the point where, I mean, it, offensively in the first four games, we looked like one of the, I would say, top 15 offenses in the country. Oh, uh, yeah. People, writers were projecting uh, Oregon to go to a New Year's Six Bowl. So I, you know, I, I think over the course of the season that that probably would not have been the case. Um, we would have seen some drop off, but... With Herbert, I feel much more confident that we'll at least be able to mix in some downfield passing to the point where we can really let our run game be successful. Because regardless of whether it's Herbert coming back for his first game in a month and a half or Burmeister, the the most major thing about the the offense being successful is going to be the run game. It's really a matter of how we set that up. Yeah, and even with um, the um, Oregon offense being entirely dependent on the run, the line's still been getting their rushing yards. They've mm-hmm. still been getting over, like 250 yards a game. Um, My concern on the line is even with the bye week, um, just still having kind of a rotating line. Um, Jake Pasarczyk is not going to be in pads, not playing, um, at least according to this depth chart that was released. So Calvin Throckmorton has been good. Um, he's started all of uh, all of his games thus far at right tackle, but he would move over to right guard. So it'll be interesting to see how that affects um, the running game. Yeah, and Oregon's been really lucky this year with so few injuries on the offensive line. 
So this is kind of because we've had a pretty much our our starting unit the entire year, um, which last year was was not the case at all. Um, would I forgot where I was going? Oh, one. Oh, here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, one of the things that I think has gone—I don't think it's gotten as much attention as it deserves—is um, that the defense had its first forced turnover uh, in the Utah game, and like I think it's the only one in the last five games that the defense is forced to turn over. Because like one well, of the big have, reasons... They did have that... Now, I don't really see a whole lot of stock in it, but they did have um, Brady Breeze's first interception against Washington at like the very end of the first half. Um, but that was oh, kind of more, right. more of an arm punt than an actual interception. Yeah. Okay, fine. We'll count it. Two in five games. Could be better. So. Yeah, and, no, that, and that's the and that's the situation too, where like uh, the the game against Nebraska, we got a huge lead because of picks, and we iced the game with a pick. Um, the strip and score by Amadi against Darren Carrington uh, was really one of the big turning points in that game, where I think. A lot of the tension left, at least Austin. I felt like a lot of the tension was gone once that play happened. Um, mm-hmm. It was very cathartic in a way. But, um, but yeah, yeah, we're just not seeing those types of plays anymore that give the offense extra chances on, at, on really short fields. And for... Yeah, basically against Arizona, if we aren't able to get turnovers, that's going to be a huge, huge problem. So I would agree. Uh, you I know, mean, Arizona, I think... Arizona's going to get theirs. Arizona's going to score. Khalil Tate's going to look awesome at times. Um, but it's going to be... If, if Oregon isn't able to force turnovers, there's really... I don't think there's any chance. I would say in order to win this game, I would expect that we would need to score over 32 points. And I'm going to say 40. If we don't hit 40, I don't think we have a chance. Yeah, and and you know, I right now, now granted the S&P Plus does take into account when the games that Herbert was playing, so if Burmeister is starting, that's a whole other level. Right. Um, I just, you know, I, I don't see the game being as close as the win probability says it is with uh, Arizona only being favored at, at 55%. I don't necessarily be that, see that being the case. Um, but I think we have a puncher's chance. I mean, we we do have talent. Um, I think that our run defense has been much improved this year over last year. And you're right. If we get one turnover, maybe two turnovers, that's the type of thing that can really swing swing this game in our favor. Yeah. All right. Um, fun fact, as we transition out of this uh, previewing this weekend's game, 
on the goal line stand uh, at the end, near the end of the Washington game, the defense was made up of six true freshmen, I think three redshirt freshmen, a senior, and a sophomore. And that is what I appreciate about this year because there is definitely no repeats or very limited repeats of the Washington game from 2016 where we got down and you saw guys jogging. That that was not the case. And uh, regardless of the score, how that game turned out, that's a big positive in my book. Yeah. Even though we only scored three, we we obviously – that was a surprise to nobody that that was – the more likely scenario of uh, getting to scoring three or scoring ten. So let's look ahead to uh, the week of college football. Oh, actually, yeah. Basically, the one thing I wanted to mention was that we have had so many young guys play on defense this year that I think, think basically all the all the freshmen that we're seeing on defense this year, I think we're going to see about that many on offense next year. Yep, and like we keep talking about with Taggart's recruiting classes, uh, the more that these guys, young young guys, play, I mean, we we saw this last year and two years ago with our offensive line. Um, coming year, years coming down the road, those position groups are going to turn into leaders for us, and so there's things to be excited about here. Yeah, and because Austin Falu. Jordan Scott killing it from day one. They had the size coming in. Uh, Graham day one was just killing it. Um, uh, yeah, I, I know. I mean, there's just so many positives from the freshmen that have come in so far. And next year, every lineman coming in has the size to start playing right away. They all weigh over 320 pounds. I don't know if that's healthy for a 17 year old to weigh that much, but you know, here we are. Uh, and then I think, I think after this season too, it's even though Dylan Mitchell has played well at times, Johnny Johnson has played well at times, I don't think they've done a great job of getting open regularly. I think Charles Nelson, even if he's a stud receiver, isn't really a receiver, if that makes sense. And in like the traditional sense, I don't think he's like really a true receiver, like a number one receiver. Yeah, and I agree. With all these, because there's like he's a different version of he's kind of a different version uh, of of our boy Cena Deer, the Black Mamba. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's a little more size, a little less speed. Yeah, but he but he's he plays similar. Yeah. Similar role. And, yeah, imagine DeAnthony Thomas having to be, like, a number one receiver. Um, it's just – it's just he's an amazing player, but it's just not what he's best at. And we got five receivers right now who are committed to next year, verbally committed. Uh, and a lot of them are – some of them are 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and they're all absolute burners. And it's really – it's the easiest positions to replace – are receiver and well, running back first, receiver second. And I think, especially with like the guys redshirting this year, running back is going to be 
pretty stacked. Receiver is going to be incredibly competitive because there's a vacuum at running back. Receiver is going to be extremely competitive. We're going to have linebackers now who have more experience, and all the offensive linemen are going to be ready to go. So I think from from like a physical development standpoint. So I think we could see a ton of freshmen playing next year. And my biggest hope is just get to bowl eligibility, get those extra practices. practices, and let those young guys keep growing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I've seen some projections already. Most projections have Oregon going to the Cactus Bowl or the Vegas Bowl. Basically, or a couple of teams would have to lose for Oregon to go to the Vegas Bowl. Basically, Oregon have to win the next two. A couple other teams fall, and then there becomes a weird tiebreaker. Otherwise, probably go to the Cactus Bowl. But then there are some mentioned, too, where other conferences aren't able to fulfill their spots. Basically, Oregon would um, take, like, Pinstripe Bowl, Armed Forces Bowl, um, fingers crossed for the Hawaii Bowl, as much of an outside shot as that looks right now. Um, or the Sun Bowl is another one that I saw come up a few times. So, all right, enough about football. Yeah, so in other news, not only do we have football back this week, we also have basketball. Uh, the Ducks have played two games, 2-0. Uh, I think they they've played pretty much how I thought that they would play. Um, So the Ducks this year are very young. Some of our most impactful players are true freshmen, Uh, most notably Troy Brown, who in my opinion is the best player on the team. Yeah. But also, uh, let's see, Victor Bailey Jr. is a true freshman. Um, Kenny Wooten is a true freshman. Uh, Abu Kijab is a true, true freshman. Um, so we have a lot of guys that are getting their first taste of college basketball. Um, we certainly have not played a complete game thus far. Absolutely t- not. That's Coppin State and then Prairie View a and um, But we've seen, just like last week, we were talking about whether Burmeister was going to be the key and a franchise guy and – you know how I mentioned that normally, even if there are mistakes early on, normally you see flashes. I think that there's no doubt in some of these freshmen, we have already seen those flashes um, through two games, indiv- individually. Um, Troy ba- Troy Brown, true freshman, is leading us in points played. He's leading us in. I believe total points and points per game. Um, he's leading the team in rebounds. I mean, he, this is a guy that does everything. And in a surprise to me, they ha- Dana Allman has Trey Brown playing on the ball a lot and playing effectively as our six seven point guard. Yeah, uh, which I really like how that looks because he's basically a turning him into a smaller um, a smaller version of what we see this Philadelphia 76ers doing with Ben Simmons right now. Yeah. 
And that's working okay at the NBA level. Now, if only we could get a Joel Embiid. That would um, make things a lot easier. But with that being said, I mean, it, th- this team is pretty much playing true to form thus far. Uh, our rotations defensively have been um, inconsistent. Our talk defensively has been inconsistent. Um, against Coppin State, at, at half, it, we were up 42 to 14. And then we really just took off the gas and got completely outscored in the second half. So I think that is good for this team long term because it's showing these new guys that you can't ever think that a game is over. Um, on the other side of things, the Prairie View A&M game, that was pretty close going in at the end of the first half, and then we turned on the Jets in the second half. So oh, yes. certainly haven't played a complete game yet, but we've seen flashes defensively. We've seen flashes offensively where I don't think this is going to be a Pac-12 championship caliber team, but Coach Altman's teams have always outperformed their projections, and we were projected fourth, I believe, in the Pac-12. So we still have talent, and we still have the ability to to really ruin some seasons for the front <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it really speaks to... I guess how good of a job Altman has done to where, well, obviously, obviously if you're listening to me right now, I'm pretty skeptical of teams' chances. I really am not the most optimistic person um, when it comes to sports that I follow. I've been hurt enough times. Um, but with basketball, it's like, they may look pretty bad at times now, but by the time conference rolls around, they're going to be killing it. Like I've, I have no concerns that they're going to be playing at a really high level against the best teams in the conference once the regular season comes around. And I agree, and I, I think that for a couple of reasons. One is because Dana Altman has the capital built up over his tenure at Oregon where you expect his teams will consistently get better throughout the season, um, barring injury. Um and, and there are game plan reasons for that as well. Through the first two games, we saw a little bit of his trademark matchup zone against Prairie View A&M, uh, especially out of timeouts. But through the first two games defensively, this team has basically played almost exclusively man-to-man. Um, yeah. Pressured the ball very little half-court and... and um, we really haven't used that three-quarter court pressure that we normally did uh, over the last two seasons and we're really so successful with last year in particular. So what what he's doing there is he's allowing these, these freshmen to get their feet wet in the college game, kind of get the pace of the game, understand rotations just on a purely man-to-man basis because – I mean, that's the easiest thing to do when you play basketball. When you go to a park and you play pickup, you're not going to play zone. Everybody knows how to play man-to-man. Everybody understands what the rotation should be, even if right now they're a little bit slow just because of the speed of the game. Um, And once we get a good solid footing, then that's when we'll start to work in more of the 
the packages of the three quarter core pressure, the matchup zone, um, where we can really start throwing different wrinkles at teams. Right. Overall, though, um, I've been pretty impressed with the team so far. You know, the, the, the first game against Coppin State, we were getting a lot of good shots. We just were having trouble converting them. Um, but with the talent on this team, especially if Roman Sorkin keeps playing like he has been, being able to stretch the floor, yeah, I think we're going to be in a good position to be uh, a very solid team and a very deep team. Because right now, we have... Let's see. One, two, three. Five. We have seven guys that are averaging over seven points a game. Um, and... Everyone except for MJ Cage. And over 12 minutes a game. So... Obviously, that rotation is going to shorten as the season goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, but by, by 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 playing all of those guys early, Coach Altman and the staff is really figuring out, okay, who's going to be able to contribute this year? Right, right. Um, I'm excited for the basketball team. It's going to be a growing process, and then when the conference play rolls around, everything's going to be fine for the most part. Um, well, hey, man, the conference is wide open too. We got UCLA guys getting arrested in China. Oh we got gosh. FBI looking into Arizona. So, isn't it weird that this that UCLA said that they know that the players stole from three stores and they're just suspended indefinitely? Um, I don't know. I honestly, I I've seen the headlines. And I saw that they came back to the States, but I haven't really looked into that um, news story kind of more than more in depth than that. I don't know what sort of evidence there was against them or what UCLA knows or doesn't know. So, no, UCLA said that they know that. I mean, maybe they have sleeper agents. Ruined sleeper agents in China. Also, also, would Donald Trump be asking for the release of every person who's arrested for shoplifting in the U.S. in China? I think that could be an impermissible benefit because I don't think that benefit would be available to all non-student athletes. Is that hotline to the FBI still open for tips? <laughs> Because I think we may need to give our our good buddy General Attorney General Sessions a call. Uh, yeah. So uh, I saw that uh, Donald Trump was making an appeal to China. Um, I don't think uh, that would be happening to anybody else. Uh, sounds like that's an impermissible benefit. Uh, I think you guys should look into that. And uh, baby blue is a terrible color for a sports team. Bye. Oh, oh, my name? My name? Um, uh, uh, Duddles the Puck. <laughs> oh, man, it's just, like, that, that whole thing is just such a circus. 
on the whole. College um, press is great. Yeah, for, okay. For as much press as college football gets about being ridiculous, college basketball is, in my opinion, just as ridiculous, but in very different ways. Yeah. Um, speaking of ridiculous, how about last weekend in college football? We'll finish up on these notes. Oh, it was great. It was uh, fantastic. It was It was also kind of nice for the Ducks to have a bye week, A, because I don't think I could have watched that offense for another week. Um, B, it left open the entire day to watch all the other awesome games going on. Like Auburn just rolling through Georgia. Um, TCU won. Oklahoma blew down the doors oh, against... Yeah. Uh, Oh, no, yeah. no, no, against TCU. Yeah, Oklahoma yeah. blew down the doors against TCU. I was thinking, for some reason, I had in my head TCU was playing Iowa State, which was two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, Ohio State came back and and blew out Michigan State, uh, mostly because there was not some sort of inclement weather, which if there's inclement weather and you're playing against Michigan State, just forfeit because you're not going to win. Don't even show up. Uh, and then it, the the biggest surprise to me was not the Auburn game. It was the Miami shellacking of Notre Dame. That was unbelievable. I was not in front of a TV. I was uh, happy to be at work. And then I saw the Notre Dame-Miami store come across the TV when it was 34 to nothing. And I legit did one of those cartoon double takes. I did one, not. One, 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 like one of those ones. It was unbelievable. Get out the turnover chain. Your favorite, your favorite new jam. <laughs> turnover chain. Uh, and it was, it was, it was one of those nights where I honestly feel bad for people that don't have multiple screens at the same time, um, because at one point there was. Uh, let me see here. There was just, it was it was absurd how many games were going on at the same time that were all worth watching. There was Alabama, uh, Mississippi State. There was Miami, uh, Miami Notre Dame. Clemson, Florida State was right at that about that time as yeah. well. Yeah. So was TCU, Oklahoma. Um, and I think Iowa and Wisconsin were just like a little bit before that. It was a little bit offset. Um, and then there's like Oklahoma State, Iowa State. It was just such an awesome weekend all around. Um, and then now we have this turd burger of a weekend. Just an absolute turd burger. But hey, duck football is back. Yeah, duck football is back. That's really the most exciting thing. That may be one of the most compelling games on the matchup because you have Michigan at Wisconsin. Michigan yeah. is terrible on offense. They're just awful. Well, they have been better since they since they subbed in a new starting quarterback. Um, but th- this weekend is really penalized by the fact that it's the SEC's annual weekend to play um, schools like Mercer. L- Not good. You... Uh... Louisiana Monroe. Yep, not not good. Uh, Clemson uh, is continuing to act like they're the SEC because they're playing the Citadel. Florida State's playing Delaware State. 
yeah, it's it's you know, I would suggest if you happen to have a family, just go ahead and spend time with your family. This is just, a good day. Yeah, it's a good weekend to get some brownie points. Mow the lawn, maybe uh, push your kids on the swing, and then when the when the Oregon game rolls around at at four p.m. Pacific time, then tune into that. I don't suggest watching LSU Tennessee. That's not going to be fun for anyone. I think Tennessee is going to put up a, a fighting chance. I mean, they might. They might have that uh, the classic. Our coach just got fired, and everyone is against us. Game. Um, well, you know who the head coach is now. It's our big boy, Brady Hoke. Big boy Brady Hoke. Big boy Brady Hoke. So we know that their defense is just going to be stellar. But be, other than that, our, this weekend is highlighted by gems like Boston College versus UConn. Nebraska at Penn State. Missouri at Vanderbilt. San Jose State at Colorado State. That would be an easy one. Well, Wolford at South Carolina. Yeah, it's... Um, oh, get ready for this. Get ready for this. Get ready for this. UAB at Florida. I legitimately think that UAB could win. I'm looking up the line right now. Because UAB is already bowl eligible. And I fully expect them to win that game now that I'm thinking about it. Um, long story short, let me see. Do something better with your life this weekend. Make some bread. You know, uh, build a birdhouse. But we do have a basketball game on Friday, so enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, also, we probably should touch on this at the last, at the very end of the podcast. So, it sounds like Chip Kelly is destined to go to Florida. Congratulations, Florida. You got our another recruit. Got another one. Um, Flo- oh, my God. I'm I'm gonna bet this. What do you think the spread is for UAB Florida? Well, you also, you already know. I I already just said that I'm excited to bet it, so you can probably guess which I would, one, which team is overvalued. I would guess Florida is a ten point favorite. Wow, ten and a half. That's Nailed that they, one on the on the nose. That's why they call me the pick maker. That is why they call you that. That's my riverboat gambling name. Um, I'm going to hit UAB on that one. That's a UAB game. Anyway, back to Chip Kelly. Yeah, so uh, Florida got permission from the SEC to hire a coach with a violation. Um, there were also this, – this is what I love about college football. People are tracking planes out of Gainesville, and one of them went to the nearest airport to Bristol, Connecticut. Um, And now it sounds like they... It's not a done deal, as Source 7 saying, but sounds like most people in the know believe that it would be pretty surprising if he did not become the head coach. Well, good. Good for them because we're not going to have to play them unless we meet in the national championship. 
And for my money's worth, you can keep your dirty hands off our coach Taggart. We're keeping him. We saw him first. We're keeping him. Do you think that if Chip Kelly goes to Florida, he will care at all about recruiting? No, but he will hire a staff that does care about recruiting. I feel like he just needs to get – just get the offensive coordinator. Just make him be a recruiting monster. Because at at, at, at a school like Florida, he's going to have the resources to hire a full staff that can do the recruiting for him. And he can just keep calling those wheel routes and those zone reads, and he'll be fine. So, and what I like about it too is that he uh, is far away from Oregon. He'll never have to. We'll we'll never end up playing him. That's our hope. Fingers fingers Honestly, crossed. Though, if we did, in one of those early season highlight games at like Jerry World or something, that would be a pretty fun game. If if you get him uh, two years into his tenure, that would be a very fun game to watch. Yeah. Although I'm really not a fan of having to worry about our coaches leaving every year. No, I'm it's not. not going to be fun. But at the same time, I would rather worry about that and be winning and be on a positive direction than have a coaching staff that nobody wants to touch. Right. And I feel, too, that if Taggart is doing his job so well that people are trying to poach him, there's probably one one guy that could make up the difference if he really wanted to. You're right. It's puddles. <laughs> it's it is puddles. I mean, honestly, at this point, it's I honestly feel like whatever a certain individual wants at Oregon, he'll just pay for it. Like he won't even care. <laughs> like, is is that the feeling you get? Yes. George Horton with his new contract. <laughs> oh man, that was a, that was that was a that was a good laugh. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for sticking around. This <laughs> this this turned out to be a much longer podcast than we originally planned. Then we do this every week. Every week we say, "All right, I don't have a ton of time. We got to keep this to like 30, 40 minutes." Here we are at 50, 51 minutes. Think about it this way, y'all. Every week. You're at work. You're bored. You got nothing better to do with your life. <laughs> with your life. Or you're in the car right now, stuck. Just enjoy. <laughs> just tune in. Enjoy the sultry voices of Rusty Ryan and Ifo Bumaye. We'll just we'll, we'll sing you a lullaby about the ducks and send you right to sleep. Hopefully not while you're driving. <laughs> Fingers crossed. In actuality, you could be listening to any podcast in the world, any song in the world, and yet here you are listening to us. So for that... I, I don't know whether to thank you or feel sorry for you. <laughs> obviously thank them. So for that, mahalo. All right, so that'll do it for us. Hopefully, when we talk again next week, we'll have the joys of uh, of a win to talk about. Here's to being bowl eligible. Here's to being bowl eligible. See you guys next week.